Hey everybody, Alonzo here with Ify Andrea. We're about to get rolling shortly, but first we just wanted to tell all of the Max Fund members that we're super grateful that thanks to you and your generosity, we're able to keep doing the show during this time. And that's why we're doing the drive to remind you that you guys uh, are the ones who uh, make this content possible, that make it uh, possible for us to get together and create these shows that you enjoy. Max Fund is audience supported. And you're the audience. So that means we're free to make the content that you enjoy because of your contributions. Um, and we are super open at any level to accepting those contributions. What an awkward sentence, but it's here for you. Um, the more majority of people who are able to support give $5 a month or $10 a month, although some are able to upgrade to 20 35 or even 100 per month. It's really what works for you, and we're grateful for every penny. Yeah, yeah. So, Timothy Chalamet, if you're listening, go ahead and drop those $100 a month. I know you're out here doing uh, travels and, you know, uh, getting your swerve on. I appreciate that. And also, we know you're definitely listening. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I definitely send him an episode your via best DMs friend every you. week. Uh, but, yeah, uh, if you if you want to be my best friend, then why don't you come hang out with us on Twitch? Because on Twitch, my personal Twitch, www.twitch.tv forward slash if d's i-f-d-e-e-z we're going to be watching the apple with april wolf and that's going to be on july 25th at 2 p.m this is exciting because people i i've been told not to look up anything about the apple not a single thing so i'm going in blind so you will see my live reactions and salivations if they are to happen live on twitch but uh Speaking of salivations, why don't you salivate over some more Who Shot Ya? Because we're getting back into the show. Careful, man. There's a beverage here, huh? Does anybody here know how many times I've had to watch Funny Lady? I'm going to get that gun of mine, and I'm going to change you from a rooster to a hen with one shot. Hey, everybody. What is uppers? It is another episode of Who Shot You? And this one's going to be totally radical. It's your host, Ify Wadiway, holding it down in the booth with my friends. Uh, so, you know, while we're in the booth, we got to introduce the folks in the booth. So the first person to introduce is Alonzo Duralde. Alonzo, what's good? Oh, well, if you what's good is that somebody thinks that 80s slang and 90s slang is exactly the same. So, yes, <laughs> radical it is. Um, no, what's good for me this week is that uh, we got a snack table. Mm. Uh, we got this metal folding table that's going to go out on the balcony. And what that means is that we're going to start having friends over one or two at a time. Ooh. And Dave and I will be sitting on one end of our balcony and they'll be sitting on the other end of the balcony. And in between there will be a table with snacks and everybody will have their own apportioned snacks. And nobody has to touch anything that isn't theirs. <laughs> and we can actually start having a bit of a tiny sliver of a social life again. So Ooh. I'm super excited about the idea of hospitality, it's been a while. Uh, that's that's great. Yeah, I've been thinking about having people over one at a time as well. Uh, it's been a long quarantine, you know. So, uh, you know, if that works out for you, I'll see how it works out for me. Yeah, like the balcony is good because it's outdoors. So, like, there's no, you know, air conditioning. Oh, or, that's you know, smart. Yeah. Any of that stuff to worry about. And we can be a good 15 feet apart. It'll oh, be great. I have a deck. I have a deck, but you know, I works. got a lot of experiments on the deck. The first, I want to get a smoker and see, but I heard that smokers get real smoky, so I don't want That's kind people... of what they do, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
But like, fact, like if your smoker like, doesn't see. get smoky, you did should you, probably return it. Did you get it. that from like an inside channel? Well, well, like, well, like I know they smoke. Says. I know they smoke, but apparently, like it's like I'm thinking it's going to smoke vertically, you know. But apparently, it smokes Ooh. out. Oh, in all like, directions. Uh, like, yes, yeah, in all absolutely. directions. So, uh, people, but no one really uses the deck, and I and I think I can bribe my neighbors with brisket, where it's like, look, if you mounted the smoke, I'll I'll slice you some. There so we'll go. see how it goes. Uh, the other voice you heard is Drea Clark. Drea, what's good? <laughs> the other lightly condescending voice. Yeah, that's me. <laughs> um, what's good with me is there is a. I know we try and stay away from doing like overabundance of AV recommendations, <laughs> but I've totally dove into Taste the Nation, which is Padma Lakshmi's new show on. Hulu and it's so wonderful I love a good cooking show food show and this is an exploratory food show that concentrates almost exclusively on immigrant foods in American culture and like how they rose up and that includes indigenous foods as well so um, it's the most interesting insight to American culture through food that I've seen in so long that manages to be genuinely respectful of like where the food is originating and how it grew over the years and how it's been popularized. And also it looks delicious and could, you know, snug in nicely on a snack table if someone had (laughs) prepared any of said food. But yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Mm. That's on my list I'm to not, get to. I'm not cooking anything, <laughs> but I do like watching other people make food. I, so. I am. I, I got a meat box coming in monthly. Oh, uh, come on. You know, yeah, yeah nice. I got a meat box. It sends me ground wagyu um, and top sirloin and New York steak. And I had and I finally got the crust. Right. You know, you, you'll hear you'll hear all the, you know, food bloggers and your 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 guy Fieri's, you know, talking about the crust. <laughs> On a steak. And like, so that's what I've been working on. So I've been doing the reverse sear technique. Uh, and uh, it, th- that thing was smacking. Uh, that thing was smacking. Nice. The last friend I'm going to introduce to you, someone I'm extremely excited about, actress, comedian, who can most recently be seen on Netflix's own medical police. Aaron Hayes, what's good? Hi. Hi. Hey. Um, Yay. What is good? Uh... Well, we've been, you know, locking, lately we're like locking it down with our family because we're going to take a road trip soon up to Oregon to see my mom and stepdad and they, you know, so that's kind of, that's what's good coming up in our lives. And then, dude, Perry Mason is good. Have you guys been watching Perry Mason? Yeah. That's good. I love like a LA noir kind of story and it's, um, (laughs) it was... So Jack was like, my husband was like, what is this? And I was like, well, it's not the Perry Mason you'd expect. And I found myself, I was like, and that's how they sold it in the room. That is, you know, yeah. it's not, well, it's you not your exactly. father's Perry Mason. Yes. Which is how yes. they pitched it. It's a Perry Mason that um. fucks. <laughs> <laughs> sold. Um, Iffy, what else is good? Uh, what's good with me? Is, uh, you know, I finally uh, succumbed to quarantine self-care and, uh, and I got the baby foot. And I put the baby uh-huh. foot on yesterday, and so There's a baby my- foot. Oh, oh, I could talk some oh, baby foot. That, this is this goes back to the dawn of this show. Like it, it keeps sold, coming up weirdly. Who sold you a baby? 
How'd you get your hands on just, a baby during court? You can make a wish on them. No, Babyfoot has absolutely been somebody's what's good before. And iffy. Okay, so it's this, um, it's like a liquid. It's a Japanese foot soap. Oh, yeah. oh, I yeah. know exactly what it is. It, did it take your whole foot off? Is your, are you just yes. a nub now? Yeah, it like peels the whole thing. Down so to the iffy, bone. are you at the peeling stage? No, I just did it yesterday. So I've, I've just been looking at my foot and just being like, come on, do something. Get uh, ready to exfoliate, mister. I, I will it's say. It's going to be like a whole Horror movie. <laughs> I, I am on wiki feet, so this is very important to me. Oh, uh, I'm stuck at nice feet, uh, and I gotta, I gotta get it up. I gotta get up out of nice feet. I need great feet, uh, so <laughs> so I gotta get the peeling popping off. Oh my god! <laughs> oh my god! Uh, Amazing. Speaking of uh, taking your foot back to its earlier years, this is a retro we rewind episode of Who Shot You? And since it's the 25th anniversary of the release of this film, we're going back to the year 1995 to discuss Clueless, a year I remember very well, 1995. Plus, we've all got staff picks from 1995. But first, it's time for our new segment, normally called It Addict, short for Is This Important? Do I Care? But since we're going back to the past, it must be renamed Wit Addict. Was this important? <laughs> Do I care? Each of us will read a new segment from the year 1995, <laughs> and we will answer the question, was this important? Do I care? First up in foremost, for moist, for moist, for moist. He's thinking about his new feet. Uh, Toy Story was released in 1995 and was the first ever completely computer animated film. It was also Pixar's first feature. And to get a sense of the production time of the film, the speed of the computers in 1995, uh, each completed shot would go. Uh, to a render farm of 117 Sun Microsystem computers that ran 24 hours a day. It finished, uh, and the finished animation emerged in a steady drip of around three minutes a week. And depending on its complexity, each frame took from 45 to uh, 45 minutes up to 30 hours to render. And the film required 800,000 machine hours and 114,240 frames of animation in total. This movie was a huge success and went on to make 373.6 million at the box office. Was this important? Do you care? I care more now that I know how long that took. That was yeah, horrifying. Jesus. Well, funny enough, I care because I just recently uh, did a deep dive into Pixar and this was a make or break movie for them. They weren't making that much money at the time and they were looking at layoffs and the, the reason it ended up being a success is that Disney heard from critics that it was good so then they made it a, a holiday release and then it just kind of took off from there and pixar be kind of blew up but like yeah at this point you know steve jobs was like i don't know about this man yeah, pixar had made some acclaimed shorts some really mm -hmm. cool ones and all of which i'm sure you can now watch on disney plus but yeah this was a big gamble this was not a thing that anybody had done and yeah they were very much early on the technology obviously and the stuff that people are now making in their living rooms you know <laughs> yeah. at the time meant like just arduous amounts of time to like get this stuff done and you know it helped that it was great and like yeah. really, yeah. you know really well written smart funny just terrific kids movie i i remember i was not a baby in 1995 <laughs> if i remember going to the press screening of this in dallas and it was on a saturday morning and it was a theater where they had invited tons of like little 
old kids and their parents. And I, you know, sort of was kind of grinding my teeth beforehand because I little kids in a movie theater sometimes can make me crazy. Oh, yeah. But it is a testament to how good Toy Story is that those little brats were silent <laughs> for the whole uh, thing. They were just enraptured. I, I am the opposite as you. Is like I will like to go to kids' movies opening weekend because they're not because I, I went to go see Chicken Run in the theater with mm. like my sister and tons of kids and people. The kids were like cheering, <laughs> and, they were, and I was in the greatest move when I left, and I was like, that might be the greatest movie ever made. And I think that um, stand by that to this day. Uh, but I think that Toy Story felt the same. It just felt so revolutionary when you went in to see it because because the the writing was so good and the and the voice acting was so good and just like it looked so so much better than everything had looked. So I mean, I do yeah. care. I get. I guess, but and especially, goddamn, three minutes a week. How much were they doing before? Oh I, I don't know anything. Yeah. I don't know how to compare. Yeah, hand-drawn animation and rotoscoping is not exactly fast moving, right? Yeah. but uh, this was a lot. I, I think the other thing that's significant that we've all kind of alluded to that it's just it's a superior film as well. It's yeah. not just, oh, the first of this technological, the um, the writing of it, the characterization, it set the template of that sort of Pixar authenticity, super emotional. Um, yeah, I, I, yeah, I mean, I love this movie and it still holds up if you watch it. Yeah. You can make ants look as good as you want and I'm still not going to give a shit. <laughs> good example. I was thinking oh. Shrek, but yeah, same, same yeah. thing. Uh, but yeah. I, I, I think the, the problem is that, you know, because it was so profitable and so successful that that you saw like even Disney sort of turning away from anything mm -hmm. remotely hand-drawn, which is a pity. I think that multiple yeah. kinds of animation should be able to coexist. And so it was great that in that period where a lot of U.S. studios were abandoning it. You still had like Studio Ghibli, for example, mm -hmm. turning out these just gorgeous, you know, Hayao Miyazaki masterpieces that were done painstakingly in the old school way. And I think now studios are open to the idea of hand-drawn, even though CG has clearly become like, you know, the the order of the day, because I, I, I like to think there's room for everything in there. Goodness. Oh, so yeah. So on these Retro Rewind episodes, we love to look back at uh, the year we're talking about. And uh, so for July 1995, 25 years ago this month, the top 10 movies at the box office were uh, at number one, Apollo 13, followed by Pocahontas, Species, Batman Forever, Nine Months, Under Siege 2, Dark Territory, First Night, Clueless, our film today, The Indian in the Cupboard, and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, the movie. Was this important? Did you care? Not at all. This is a wild top 10, right? Like, oh, yeah. Uh, super wild. If you're asking seven-year-old Iffy, my age at the time oh, of the year. God. Oh, 100%. Number 10. <laughs> I remember number 10. I remember number 10 because I remember I went. You mean and Mighty saw, Morphin Power Rangers, the movie? Yeah, because they made, uh, I remember thinking this was so cool. And this is so like a iffy, like it's so funny how like you think of thoughts you've had when you were younger. And you're like, oh yeah, that's so me. But the coolest thing to me about the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers is that they actually looked as buff as the toys in the movies. For some reason, they put like the muscle plates on the suits and I was like, oh yeah, everyone's buff. You know? <laughs> You know, what most seven-year-olds are interested in, musculature. I just that want characters with great, uh, yeah, I just want a character with a great physique. 
That's exactly. It. Yeah. Um, this was clearly like these were high school days for me, which I'm looking at. I'm like, oh, I was not going to the cinema at this time. <laughs> and I think it's also I worked at a summer camp, as I've probably mentioned many times, not as many times as if he's mentioned the size of his television screen. <laughs> but I worked at a seven camp a summer camp for many years. So it's not seeing summer movies. So the number of these films that I didn't see is kind of crazy to me or saw much, much later. No, I was just going to say, I kind of Dre like that same. I was um, not seven. I was a freshman in college. And so I, just, I think of those 10 movies, I saw Clueless. That's it. Mm. Like, I mean, I eventually saw Apollo 13, but I don't know that I've seen any of the other movies. Yeah, yeah. I, not, yeah. But now I got to yeah. go back and see these physiques. <laughs> you gotta see, yeah. You gotta check out the hot it. physiques and Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. Oh my gosh! Yeah, clearly. Oh, Species is a good weird ride. Batman mm-hmm. Forever, we've definitely discussed. <laughs> yeah, this is the first time we've done a blast in the past where I've seen most of the movies. I've seen, I've seen bits and pieces of Apollo thirteen. That was definitely a mom movie. She loved it. Pocahontas, seen it. Species, seen it because it was very horny. Uh, four, <laughs> Batman Forever, seen it. Didn't see nine months, uh, but I did see Clueless, Indian in the Cupboard, and uh, uh, Mighty Morphin Power Rangers. So, like, I've seen most of all of these. Uh, Pocahontas, I could sing with all the colors of the wind. Very side, very problem, problematic now. Uh, Native American representation <laughs> in this box. box office. It was problematic always. then, I think. Pocahontas yeah. was yeah. 13 years old. <laughs> yeah, we, out of the well, gate, that movie had explicitly issues. set the age in the movie, so we didn't know. We were like, oh, they're all adults, baby. Yeah. Oh, good. So we were just lying about him. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. What, what I think is interesting is that the, that relatively recently you could have a summer where that many movies in the top 10 were like, you know, either kid aimed movies or sort of, you know, kind of adult comedies like nine months or whatever, you know, uh, the, you know, like now it would be Batman forever on top. And yeah. then like everything oh behind God, it would yeah. be some other version of like some sort of superhero outer space effects heavy thing. But really here like uh you know apollo 13 is is, is nowadays would just be so almost strictly oscar bait yeah um, you know, also there's only two like everything's an original ip other than batman mm-hmm. forever and under siege 2 well first night's a king arthur movie right but in terms of being in a series like oh sure yeah, yeah the yeah. idea of all we get now in your top tens is just sequel on sequel Right. Yeah. Mighty Morphin Power Rangers was a, was a TV adaptation, but like nine months, I remember that was a big deal because that was, you know, that was Hugh Grant's sort of introduction to Hollywood. He had done Four Weddings and a Funeral the year before, and he was like, oh, this guy's the next Cary Grant. We got to like put him in a Chris Columbus movie with Julianne Moore and just watch the sparks, you know? Yeah. But I think oh, that was also around the time of his arrest. So <laughs> that I think most of the promotion of that movie was about like him apologizing for having been on TMZ. <laughs> yes, or whatever the TMZ was at the time. Speaking of other... Nope, I'm not going to do it. I can't do segues like Ify does, so I'm just going <laughs> to jump right to it. Also in 1995, uh, Drew Barrymore was 20 years old and a guest on The Late Show with David Letterman when it happened to be David Letterman's birthday. At one point during the interview, Letterman asked Drew Barrymore about recent gossip that she had done a strip tease at the New York club Blue Angel. Barrymore said, would you like me to do a dance for you? And got up on his desk, danced a little, and then flashed him. She sat down and said, I would have only done it, but it was your birthday. Letterman responded by saying, I can't thank you enough for that. 
It caused a bit of a stir at the time, but when asked about it recently, Barrymore had this to say, quote, I'm such a different person now that it doesn't feel like me, but I'm still into it. You only have one life. Was this important? Do you care? I think Drew Barrymore big... invented YOLO. <laughs> my big takeaway here is that Drew Barrymore is 45 years old. That's true, right? <laughs> that sounds Which like makes a perfect, me feel ancient. That sounds like a perfectly lovely age to be. It's a perfect age to be. I just, it's just making me feel older. I mean, older. should yeah. I get there in the next, like, 10 years? Yeah, <laughs> you'll make it. You'll, I'm sure you'll meet some people that age, too, sometime, um, the thing that The thing that struck me about this was I was... Um, Another what's good is I just recently watched the documentary that Alex Winter directed on HBO called Showbiz Kids. Oh. You watched that? Mm-hmm. And um, she's, I mean, she's like mentioned in it, but she, she wasn't interviewed in it. But, you know, she was 20. This is a girl that like went through like some deep, deep, dark stuff before she was 20. And mm. she's 20 flashing a 48 year old. And it's like as a mother of two girls, I'm like, oh, God. But then at the same time, if she's like, I was like, OK, maybe I do care because here's a, a person trying to transition into fully being a grown up and having um, like, you know, feeling yeah. in control of her own body. So like, sure, why not? They're just boobs. I, no, totally. I re, I remember this very much when it happened, and then I rewatched the clip. And there's there's these contextual elements of this whole moment that I find so important. That she's on this show, and you think of it now, everybody, you get very preemed up for these, right? You're in like your tight dress and your hair and makeup, and mm-hmm. she's clearly like she's done her hair in these little twists, and she's wearing like sort of low slug like yeah. long pants and a just a t-shirt like a long sleeve t-shirt and it's such a quick little like when you look at this flash it's like the quickest millisecond it's- just to him and there's something about this combination of it you're like oh she is doing something that word wise is very sexy but she's also just made it this very playful like quit making everything sexy yeah I'm just up here yeah. dancing and flashing some boobs that i have and sh- she's got like she's got like kevin bacon footloose hair <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. and that was the moment where letterman was sort of like the last unflappable man on television you know so like madonna and sandra bernhard would come on and push his buttons and Cher and shirley mclean would insult him like this is sort of peak letterman as like sort of you know stone-faced white guy so i think it became a challenge for a guest to like how do i get a rise out of this guy yeah yeah he also didn't make it gross he didn't get lascivious with it he yeah. was just like oh my oh, all right yeah, thanks. Oh, me, oh my. yeah like, that, i know yeah. that's what's uh you know because i know thinking about that being a uh a, a elder millennial uh parent because i grew up in the like in the era where there were so many like that pipeline of child star two star you're like miley cyrus's you're amanda Bynes, all and for me it's it is interesting that yeah they once they get like their adult age they there's always this move this push to like because of fear of being Infantil, uh, infantilized, you, you know the word. Infantilized. Uh, infantilized. infantilized. Yeah. There it is. Uh, because you know, all their life they've been this kid. You saw it with Spring Breakers. You see, so don't it, make it, that Sundance movie where you're a, <laughs> a, a drug addicted sex worker. Yeah, it's, yeah. Or they will never get the Disney Channel off of your resume. Uh, exactly. And but it's always in, uh, like I always love when you know. Um, women take agency, you know, because I'm a male feminist. I love when women take agency over their bodies, especially since it came from like, I heard you did a strip teach. She's like, yeah, so what? 
Like get off yeah. my back, you know. And I and I love that uh, always and forever. Well, uh, also, so she I, knew she was going to talk about it. Like you yeah. do these pre-interviews, she knew exactly what the topic was going to be. Every like she was she was down she was down for yeah. it. He was down. For, like they that's what they wanted something fun. And she's like, all right, let's get fun. Yeah, <laughs> Aaron, this is a tactic you can keep in mind for when you move out of doing teen roles. And oh, like need, it's hard when you. Yeah, when you being need people to see of, you as an adult. Yeah. yeah. It's so hard being a part of young Hollywood. I just want to stop being ingenues, you guys. Um, oh, uh, we support you. We no. support you. We're going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll be talking about Clueless just as soon as we uh, talk to y'all about the Maximum Fun Drive. Uh, hey, what's good if you're here and we're talking about that Max Fun Drive again. So we've heard from many people who really value our work and the work of other shows on Max Fun, particularly during this time of uh, social distancing. It's been hard on all of us, but uh, having familiar voices to make us laugh, think, interact, and feel normal is extremely important to some folks. If that sounds like you and you're able to join, I encourage you to do so now. Yeah, it's been, uh, you know, certainly I think for us, it's been great to have the familiarity to talk to each other every week. And uh, if hearing our voices in your earbuds does the same for you, then uh, we're thrilled to make that happen. Uh, membership at MaxFun starts at five bucks a month. That gets you all of the bonus content. Every single show in this network has created bonus content. Content and you will get access for it starting at that $5 membership, and it's all there waiting for you. Now, if you want to kick it up to $10 a month, that gets you a MaxFun membership card, one of the cool show pins, and all the bonus content. And then if you go in at $20 a month or more, uh, you also get the year's special gift, which is a MaxFun game pack. Uh, we're talking custom dice, custom deck of playing cards, all with MaxFun designs. Very cool stuff. All waiting for you at MaximumFun.org slash join. And just all that's where you have to go to become a member. Yes, yeah, somehow people are supporting our show, even though my voice is a total nightmare and <laughs> I sound like a harpy from hell. But thankfully, the people who do support us um, have some of them have been around for a long time. And if you are wondering about supporting a little bit extra, but are not able to upgrade a full level right now, you can check out boosting your membership at an amount between levels. Um, it doesn't qualify for the gifts, but it does still directly support us and what we're doing. And I think it has a, an actual button on a website. And I'm, you guys, I'm a big fan of buttons on websites. So yeah, boost, yeah. boost your membership if you're able. And, you know, there's lots of ways that you can support this show and, and everything that Max Fund does, uh, even if uh, right now your financial uh, circumstances you know, don't, are, aren't allowing you to, to hop into the fund drive. Uh, promote the show. Talk about the show on social media. Get one friend who you think is going to dig what we do here at Who Shot You to start listening. It makes all the difference in the world. If you have time to go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star review, that goes a long way in getting more ears to listen. Uh, you know... Tell your rich friends to, to support the fun drive. Uh, you know, steal their credit card if you have to. Maybe not. But nonetheless, uh, <laughs> talk it up. Let the world know that you dig this show and that you enjoy listening to, to, to Who Shot Ya, that you enjoy listening to the Max Fun shows, and, uh, you know, sharing the word. Be an ambassador. That does so much to help us out. And uh, we want to thank all of you who are in healthcare, retail, or any of the other essential jobs right now. Yes. We're thinking about you a lot and grateful for the work you do. We hope our show is a good diversion for you right now and that we're in some way supporting the work that you're doing in return, whether it be with laughs, uh, chuckles, or just genuine thirst. 
streaming, the streaming <laughs> tips. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes. The three genders laughs, chuckles, or thirsts. <laughs> <laughs> All right. We'll get back to the show. Welcome back to Who Shot You? I'm your host, If You Want Anyway. In the virtual booth with me are Drea Clark, Aaron Hayes, Alonzo Duralde. And today we're talking about Clueless. Alonzo, would you mind providing us with a nice, quick, and juicy synopsis? Sure. Uh, very loosely based on uh, Jane Austen's Emma. Clueless is the story of Cher Horowitz, a young Beverly Hills teen who uh, likes to meddle in other people's lives and arrange other people's romances, uh, all the while never realizing that the true love of her life might be staring her in the face. Um, in the meantime, she does hook up a couple of her teachers, gives a makeover to a uh, fellow student at her Beverly Hills High, and uh, discovers that she is a terrible driver. <laughs> I feel like, yeah, that's, that's, that's a big like discovery. The- that's the big discovery. Yeah, <laughs> sure. <laughs> Yeah, no, I think that was the perfect synopsis of this movie. <laughs> like, truly. Uh, I mean, like, yeah, I think we'll go down and say what everyone's relationship to this movie is. I'll go last because mine's is going to be, as always, long-winded. Oh, good lord. <laughs> Aaron? Oh, all right. Um, I loved this movie since day one. I It is such a perfect Amy Heckerling, like, continuations after Fast Times and... um. It was it was at the exact right time. I mean, I mean, I think me and me and Alicia are the exact same age. So that I was that age, although I was from this like hippie Northern California community. So my school looked nothing like that. But it was so universal in the way um, all of the clicks and the you know how everybody interacts and like the dialogue and all of it. I loved it. I love this movie. Yeah, I'm Ooh. with you. I'm also a of a similar generation and. Um, <laughs> No, I totally related to this film. Yes. Also, like Aaron, an ingenue myself. (laughs) Um, No, this, like, I was in the suburbs of Minnesota when I watched this, so a very different environment. But there was a lot to relate to and a lot to aspire to. I was like, oh, man, I wish that my friends and I had such great language. There's so much inventive wordplay, so much slang and nonsense. And then as someone who became just an enormous Jane Austen fan, the amount of times I've read Emma or seen other adaptations or whatever, Clueless isn't a loosely, it's a very tight adaptation in that there's, there's, very little deviation from the sort of conflict points and relationship elements. Like it's such a smart adaptation. You could just analyze it on that alone, sure. but then you also get all the playfulness and wonderfulness and world building and wardrobe and everything <laughs> else. So yeah, I, I was always a fan of this. So uh, in the early 90s, the first time that I lived in Los Angeles, uh, I worked as a temp a lot. Um, a lot of people at the time were like, oh, well, you know, if you if you, you can sign with these agencies and they all uh, deal with, you know, studios and different, you know, entertainment uh, companies, then it's a good way to, to get a permanent job is if you, if you temp. And so um, there was one job that I had where uh, I was working in the story department at a studio and there was the phone never rang. The nothing, there was nothing that I needed to do all day, uh, but they had this closet of unproduced scripts. 
So I would spend my day reading scripts of things. And one of them was an Amy Heckerling script that at the time was called I Was a Teenage Teenager. And I remember reading it and loving it and thinking, oh, this is so good and so smart. No one's ever going to make it. Like, this is just too good to actually exist as a movie. And so then when Clueless popped up, I was like, oh, wait, I know this one. Uh, and I was delighted that they really had captured, you know, what was so great in that screenplay, what was already there on paper when Heckerling wrote it. Um and so, yeah, I was well past the demo at that point, but I've always loved teen movies. And uh, and yeah, I think this has stood the test of time as, as one of the great ones. Movie itself, iconic. My generation loved it. Great, all about it. As an Angelino, a native Angelino from Compton, oh, California, I've mentioned this before. I have a unending blood feud with Beverly Hills. I hate everything about it. I hate I hate the people who live there. And any any media that makes it seem like it's at least the least of the cool of the least bit cool, there's a tinge of like, oh. But when you really watch it, it's kind of making like it's not kind of it's making fun of it. And it's it's yes. really making fun of like the class dynamic and the way that people grew up there. So uh like re-watching it, I liked it, but it, a clueless always in the back of my head like sent before re-watching re had this like dark spot of being like uh, because like it, it is funny because it's one of those things we talk about this in art a lot of times where people will see things and like there are so many people I meet that think LA is like clueless like they are so <laughs> like every time I meet someone who moved out here and they're like I just had to move to Beverly Hills because I was like oh because you watch clueless that being said Clueless is such a fun movie, goddammit. Like, uh, and to think of a movie in 1995 that also, like, portrayed rich people and also still had black people and people yeah. of color in that group of rich people, that always stood out to me as something that I thought was cool. And, uh, you know, especially if we're talking about seven-year-old movies, uh, seven-year-old iffy, not seven-year-old movies, seven-year-old iffy, all movies like this that showed people of color are the things I saw that let me believe that I could be an actor, that I can be in the industry. Because when you watch things and you don't see yourself in it, you're like, oh is there space for me so when you watch things like all that and clueless and you know the there's so many more i'm just these are the just the ones that were like tent poles for me as a kid growing up uh it just kind of allowed me to chase this dream and eventually actually chase it uh to the chagrin of my nigerian father uh and, uh, but it's, yeah what, it's funny though i think what, what it, one of the things it does one of the many things it does is really smart uh like dan waters always talks about when he was writing heathers that he didn't want to do the thing where he would like scope out you know sit in cafeterias and get the hot slang because then by the time the movie <laughs> came out it would be hopelessly out of date and yeah. because this movie creates its own look mm -hmm. and its own sound it becomes timeless you know oh, yeah. i think like 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 when you think about just that that quick all the young dudes moment in this movie that shows you like yes. what 90s teen fashions really looked like there yeah. are whole teen movies of that era that look like that moment and so yeah. now of course they're just ridiculous but <laughs> because this movie is creating its own nutty idea of of like teen couture it becomes both aspirational and like not attached to its own moment yeah and i also love Oh, I was going to say that just just switching tacks, like just the reason I think I loved it so much as a kid, too, is it's so female centric. You know, it's Ooh, about. Yes. And it's very it's a feminist movie. Like these are mm -hmm. girls who have each other's back. These are girls who when they they hurt each other, go, oh, God. And then they come back and go like I and sh model what what true female friendship is, where you yeah. own up to it. And you're like, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. And like, let's move past this. Um, and also like <laughs> that's like the Beverly Hills of it all is like, oh, wow, these kids 
had some good education from day one. Like they might not know what everything means, but they're like the quotes that they're using. And she didn't she didn't make any of them stupid. They all like Mm -hmm. they were all very educated. And so it was um, inspirational as as a girl watching this um, like I like the messages. Yeah, and I think in Cher, the the Emma Cher character as well, that that that's even more impressive because you go, it's this very vapid, very vacuous setup. Her whole thing is like, what? Like, she's a little out of it and a little bubblegum. But the whole arc of that character is a self-actualization and a self-realization and the idea of that she has always been, you know, doing these external makeovers and she needs to do an internal makeover and be a good person and be a good friend. And that even, you know, so the tie, the Brittany Murphy character who is this new student that Cher's taken under her wing and she molds her to look like all the rest of them with the absurdly short plaid skirt (laughs) and uh, the like layered cardigan over some other nonsense. So she takes this girl who's new and has her own thing and is an artist. We get a little glimpse, runs her through the mold because she knows that will help her social standing. But then they both get to come out at the end of it of, oh, well, we'll be better people if we're ourselves and we're authentic. And that's part of a high school journey and part of a coming of age journey. And the idea that this story was able to have all of the flippant nonsense and the as ifs and the just the great dialogue throughout and still have that. And the other thing I'd love, I'm glad that if he said about the um, like that her best friend and her best friend's boyfriend are black characters. There is an Asian American actress who's like in their main posse, but there's also a really, uh, I've not found a handling of she has this share has this crush on a boy and he doesn't like what it does. He doesn't reciprocate. And then it just comes out because, Oh, he's gay. And there is not a, through any member of any part of their things there's no shaming of him for that Mm -hmm. he also doesn't seem to have shame himself he's just like oh you don't know like he's sweet to her (laughs) and then they never the moment where where uh they explain that he is a a a streisand ticket holding friend of dorothy and a cake boy (laughs) those are adjectives that i use have used ever since that movie because it's like i think up to that point any revelation by a third party about that character would have been gross and homophobic and that in this movie it's so smart and like they find out a way to make it funny and affectionate at the same time it is yeah. goofing on the idea of it without ever being like, ew, gross. It's, yeah, that's oh, perfection. Yep. And it, it also never slows down her growing friendship with him. Right. There's never a break. There's never a, oh, she's just like, oh, okay, I get it now. And now we can, I can still like, now we can I shop. Can take, now we can shop. Now we can share in the yeah. ways that you were trying to anyway. And I think there's, there's yeah, just... There's- yeah. There's that there's that moment as well when they're all in the car and they all discuss like the status of their who's had sex and who hasn't and there's never any judgment between those yes. girls on that as well um True. which is refreshing for a high school movie. 
and the drug discussion is the same way it's kind of like look it's fine to you know like blaze up at a party blaze every so often party, yeah. but you know but if you if you're going to be the guy who just is fried every day and just comes into classes and something stupid like that's just no way to live and that's that's such a you know after the 80s and all the nancy reagan hysteria like such a sort of level-headed like we're not saying don't ever do drugs, but we're saying all the time is not going to make you an interesting person. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they have a whole character who gains sobriety in this thing. Yeah. <laughs> they also, they touch on things like, I will forever, I think at one point I definitely had her speech about the Haitians. Oh. She keeps saying Haitians and I almost die every time. But her speeches, I'm like, Okay, I'm just going to like share Horowitz's overall thoughts on immigration. I don't disagree with. So that, there's that, that. that. This movie does a thing, and I think Legally Blonde really takes it home, which is this idea of like a character that nobody takes seriously, whom we in the audience have been trained over the years to just think of like, oh, the sort of vapid, shallow, fashion obsessed blonde. But clearly they are smart. They are maybe too smart for the hole they found themselves in in their like high school or college society but then when given the opportunity to actually do something and have opinions and 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 be smart about stuff they're super smart and step the hell back because they will like they will take you out because they know what they're doing yeah it was a time for that third wave feminism kind of like we're just gonna be you know like we're gonna be full makeup full hair care about clothes and also and also be smart spice yeah. girls feminism spice oh, girls God. feminism so yeah. alicia silverstone in this is magic like she is this young it's like this meg ryan energy of being just like totally entrancing and beautiful but also so friendly in war i mean the the this movie is on her she's in every shot practically and she's so engaging and I love this as a discovery, and I also am wondering, Ify, how much of a crush did you have on Alicia Silverstone? Okay, we got to remember these were these were blind times. It was these were times uh, before today time. So of course, my crush was on Stacy Dash. Uh, Stacy Dash, and then, that's true. And then and then Stacy Dash has been dashing uh, for, for quite some time. She glows in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. Stacy Dash yeah. is Stacey, like flawless. You have to, yeah, you have to yeah. be able to just ignore modern Stacy Dash <laughs> in the same way if you watch Toy Story, ignoring modern John Lasseter. Like you oh, have yeah. to take some oh, things yeah. out. <laughs> So no, that's I, fair. I, yeah, watching this, I was like, I was so sad about Brittany Murphy and and her, you know, mm -hmm. tra the tragic loss of her at such a young age because she was such a, a a wonderful presence. My husband interviewed her and like still talks about like just what a lovely person she was. But it's almost equally tragic to like think about the 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 trajectory of Stacy Stacy Dash and just like oh, why? but the overall <laughs> the whole cast is amazing. Donald Faison, fire and magic in this. Yes. Um, who's oh Jeremy Sisto? Of course, I was like, <laughs> I know that I'm supposed to mock Elton, and I still had a crush on him. Um, <laughs> everyone, I love the teachers. Wallace Epping Sean is in this yes. film. Dan Hedaya is her dad. Like the whole thing is just so well Breck done. And Meyer. How have I not seen Paul Rudd yet? <laughs> Paul Rudd. Oh my of god! Paul, right? 
I had Rod's such a crush on Paul Rudd at the time. I mean, who at did it? Time. I, how could you not? <laughs> also, wearing, I had that exact 688 shirt that he wears a, like a decade <laughs> earlier. That was they, when, when I when I would go home to Atlanta from college and like go see indie bands. Like that was, 688 was the shit. So to see that pop up in a 90s movie was like, whoa. And I'm like, is that an address? What? Uh, it what was a, it was a club in Atlanta. The, the, it, it was. It was 688 oh. Spring Street, I think. Okay. Yeah, we got pre-scrubs Donald Faison, you know, holding it down. Uh, and, and, and this is, I think, a tip also. If you're going to make a movie that is mostly populated by, like, you know, up-and-coming teen actors and, and, you know, all about their stuff, for the few adult roles that you have and the, whatever little time they're going to be on screen – Cast Wally Sean, cast Julie Brown, cast Dan Hadaya. Like they're going to make a very strong impression in the 20 seconds that you're going to get to very see true. them before we're back yeah. to what the kids are up to. Oh my goodness. Sorry. <laughs> right, well, uh, what's our final review of Cl uh, Clueless? Would you screen it, stream it, screen or skip it? it? Screen it's our top, our top ranking Sc one. Screen it. Screen is, I was like... I was like, yeah. who's screening this now? I'm screening everything. <laughs> a lot of drive-ins, actually. Drive I would have to see this in a drive-in in a car by myself, because this is definitely a movie where I say half the lines along with them, which cannot be fun for anybody. <laughs> but yeah, I think it's it stands up so well, yeah. and in re-watching it again, there is always this idea of, like, in my head, her relationship with Christian was like, good as gold and then there's the worry of oh i wonder if i rewatch it and it's actually offensive or you know just doing something like unacceptable yeah. and it's not this this movie still works for me in so many ways where where so many people come across well and it's so thoughtful and fun no, I was going to say, it, it, it is barely, if at all, problematic. And again, I think that's just like, get a woman to write and direct these things. And, you know, you're less likely to uh, yeah, have these pitfalls. And yeah, totally screen it. And by the way, there is, for you, my lovely physical media people out there, there's a brand new Blu-ray out this week from Paramount celebrating the 25th anniversary uh, with a lot of features, a lot of where are they now stuff, and uh, even a tutorial <laughs> on how to play Suck and Blow. I'm just so impressed. I'm so impressed with just like Amy Heckerling nailing for this, nailing the high school experience for the second yes. time in yeah. an iconic way. And um, come back and make another one, Amy. <laughs> We're ready. We're ready for another one. We're ready. Aaron can play the a senior. Girls are ready. Oh gosh, you think I was gonna go for sophomore? <laughs> uh, sophomore. Sophomore. Yeah, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's a screen it for me as well. Easy, easy peasy, lemon squeezy. Such a fun movie. Now it's time for staff picks. It could be any movie, but our only rule for this episode is that the staff pick must be from 1995 or around there. So, Drea, why don't you start? All right. So, I have a film from 1995 that I love, and it is called To Die For. And I think that people should go see it if they haven't or revisit it if they have. It is directed by Gus Van Sant, written by Buck Henry, adapted from a book by Joyce Maynard, who has an infinitely interesting life. She has a read her autobiography. She was like J.D. Salinger's teen oh, yes. girlfriend. Um, and it's slightly based on Pamela Smart's story. Um, it stars Nicole Kidman and a very young Joaquin Phoenix and Matt Dillon. And it's about this um, very ambitious uh, small town weather girl who wants to be wildly successful and famous and thinks her 
husband, Matt Dillon, is holding her back and uh, sort of um, recruits these high school students or younger, yeah, teenagers to kill him. And it's so black and funny and sharp and unique. And Nicole Kidman, again, if you're talking about things of like, oh, yeah, that's how you carry a motion picture. She's so spicy and wonderful in this um, to die for. It's to die for, you guys. (laughs) It's right there. Ooh, okay. All right, well, uh, what about you, Aaron? Um, first of all, agree 100% on To Die For. I was just actually telling somebody about that just the other day. She's perfect in that movie. Everybody's perfect in that movie. Um, my pick, I think, I went, um, because Clueless is such a big studio, glossy movie, fun, I went the other direction and chose uh, Living in Oblivion, which I love that movie. I haven't seen it in a while, but I was looking on the list of everything that came out that year and was like, oh my God, that movie, you know, like let's take it real indie and just about an independent movie set and the like the you know the director uh, Steve Buscemi and Catherine Keener and James LaGrosse is like perfect as just this blowhard actor and um, Dermot Mulroney is the cinematographer who's like something happens to his does something happen to his eye <laughs> what he's like, got in an eye patch at the end and like um uh there's a whole dream sequence with. Wait, why am I blanking on his name? Peter Tyrion Lannister. Peter Dinklage with Tyrion Lannister. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, And the movie is so funny, and it makes and I'm also like, oh, I miss working. I just want to be on a set. (laughs) So I might watch that one again tonight, and um, remember that sets are also super annoying sometimes. (laughs) Just to just to try to uh, give myself a couple more months of not working. Another one of my 1995 favorites, uh, also directed by a woman, also about a character who is seemingly just sort of fashion obsessed, but actually turns out to be a much smarter cookie than anyone gives her credit for being. Uh, And that would be uh, Party Girl, starring Parker Posey in the movie that was her huge indie breakthrough that made her the Sundance It Girl. Uh, She plays Mary, uh, the titular um, uh, just sort of like hard partying club kid scenester who has to get her act together and discovers that she has a gift for library science. And um, like Librarians have never been funkier or sexier than in Party Girl. Uh, it's written and directed, co-written and directed by uh, Daisy von Schurler-Mayer. Uh, a beautiful, hilarious, wonderful snapshot of 1995. Great soundtrack, uh, amazing outfits, and just a, a a wonderful ensemble cast. But Parker Posey is just yep. perfection in this movie. Ooh. Nice. Well, for me, it's a very hard decision. 1995 is great, and there's a lot of picks I can give you. I mean, I could give you a lot of picks. Mighty Morphin Power of great, Rangers. Great quotable movies like, you know, Heat. Uh, she has a right ass. You have uh, Seven. What's in the box? Uh, and you got hits that I loved, like Jumanji. Uh, or we can even go 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 down the nerdy route. Things like Tank Girl. Uh, you know, you got Dark Man. Uh, we got lots of great things. Or funny things that have built my comedy brain, like Tom boy major pain is that still on your mind sergeant ace ventura paid detective or judge dread johnny mnemonic or my weeby ghost in the shell one of the top tier animes but alonzo is right i'm going with mighty Morphin power rangers because that's a seven-year-old that you would pick 
That is what I would pick yes. uh, at seven years old. They oh, have I muscles on the suit. I need you all to understand there are muscles and they look like my action figures. That was a journey. <laughs> There are so there are so many Halloween stores that will sell you a muscle suit. You didn't suit. see it. You didn't, cinema. You didn't see I mean, it in cinema yeah. or on the television. You you know this was the first time my eyes got to see the action with the muscles. Also, Aaron, uh, <laughs> I have to stress for you because you are only seeing part of him. If he's extremely muscular, like yes, he's like he's yeah, no, like you look very crazy, built. crazy built. So whenever he talks, crack about some this, walnuts with your thighs, like, if you better see that. It's. And, and just so we don't get letters, 95 was Ace Ventura when nature calls, not yes, Pet Detective. Yes, uh, yes, sorry about that. Uh, that's, that's the one where he comes out the elephant's uh, butt, right? Oh, God. I believe yeah. it is. Or, yeah. <laughs> uh, Aaron, thank you so much for joining us. Is there anything you'd like to plug? Oh, thanks Yay. for having me, you guys. Uh, well, yeah, please go watch Net Medical Police on Netflix. That's a, a fun a fun one about a, a virus infecting Ooh, the whole world. Totally. Nothing to relate to there. Um that's a fun, silly, stupid comedy with me and Rob Hubel. And then Bill and Ted Face the Music comes out August 28th, I believe, if this world complies. Um, and I think the trailer's coming out soon. So that's a fun one. Hey, if you've gone the extra mile to become a Max Fund member, thank you so much for making this show possible. We're able to create content independent of outside influence because of our audience. People like you have chosen to support it. And we can't thank you enough. Hey, so just a reminder, a fun thing that we've got going on for the Max Fun Drive. Uh, this Saturday, July 25th at 2 p.m. Pacific, we're all watching The Apple on Twitch with our good friend April Wolf. And uh, if you need the address to Ify's Twitch page, check out the show notes and it'll link you right there. Now, making content outside of um, external influence means we can continue supporting films like Space Jam. So if you haven't had a chance to become a member yet, you can do so at MaximumFun.org slash join. And if he can increase the ranks of his Space Jam lovers. Yes, yes, please do. Uh, and yeah, like we said, uh, whether you're able to uh, support uh, monetarily or not, just simply listening, leaving a five star review, telling your friend about it. We appreciate it all. And you all get a big old digital hug from me until I can give you these real hugs that'll smush your face next to my pectoral muscles as they tighten with my grip. All right, and the, again, the number for the Who Shot line is WSY803-1664, and this episode marks the first run uh, of Retro Rewind episodes. Next week, we're going to be talking to Paul Shear about adventures in babysitting, and the following week, we will speak to Nicole Byer about Ghost, so make sure you tune in. Alonzo, Andrea, thank you, and if you have a question or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at Who Shot Your pod our facebook group can be found at www.facebook.com forward slash groups forward slash who shot your podcast or send us an email at who shot you at maximumfund.org our producer is casey o'brien our senior producer is laura swisher and this is a production of maximum fun maximumfund.org comedy and culture artist owned audience supported